Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm talking like nine times out of ten. No, I understand it. You know, and I think that's the, you know, the anti-ground theory. Well, Brandon is in serious trouble. And if I were him, I would... Run for the hills. You play by different rules. Yeah. Do you feel like the conference has turned that corner where it is a destination conference for a lot of college coaches? I don't know about the conference. UCF, to me, is a destination. That's what bothers me. Vacated wins from four years ago. There has to be a better way to penalize a college than that because it just seems so useless to me. Well, I think the entire NCAA is useless. Can't do it. So give me a peek behind the curtain. Vince McMahon on the day of WrestleMania. What is he like? More often than not, the Haitian of Barn by Sunday. You ever find yourself in your kitchen just making eggs and then spontaneously you just tear your shirt apart? Uh, I've been doing that to my new wife, Jennifer, lately. And now, without any further ado, your host, Brandon Kravitz. The 2018 NFL Draft is in the books, and you know what that means. On to 2019 NFL Muck Drafts. All right, maybe we'll hold off on that for a minute. Welcome to the Kravitz Podcast, Episode 6. For those keeping score at home, I appreciate you joining me for this draft recap edition. This week, we talked to Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus to see how close their evaluations came to predicting the way that the draft would fall out. Teams that got bargains, teams that overpaid, teams that stunk up the joint, and sure, We'll throw some grades in there as well. But first, a couple of takeaways of my own. First of all, the Shaquem Griffin pick in the fifth round, if that didn't make you cry, uh, your heart is made of lead and you probably need to make a doctor's appointment. That could easily go down as the greatest moment in draft history. I've been watching the draft religiously since I was about eight years old from pillar to post, and I've never seen a draft pick that's made me cry. That pick and seeing Shaquem Griffin and his entire family and his brother Shaquille and the reaction all around, it was just something that tugs on the heartstrings. When you all know the story at this point, you've been told it a million times about Shaquem Griffin. But the guy is just a class act. And so to see him finally get drafted in the fifth round, which was too late, but still drafted before Tom Brady was drafted. So keep that in mind. It was really a moving moment. Takeaway number two, the Browns, I defended you with the Mayfield pick, but Callaway in the fourth round, are you stupid? And then you pair him with Josh Gordon. It's like sending Johnny Manziel to rehab with Lindsay Lohan. That's a terrible idea. If I'm a general manager or if I'm an owner, I look at my general manager and I say, you can draft a basket case, but you've got to be able to come back to me and say, I can't get another talent like this. If you can answer that question, can you get another talent like this on our roster? And if the answer is no, I really can't, then you can go ahead and draft him and we'll deal with the consequences later. I think Tyree Kill is a good example. You aren't going to find another Tyree Kill in the draft the year that he came out. He was by far the fastest player. He had a very specific and unique skill set. Nobody else was going to match it. 
Antonio Callaway is a talented wide receiver and certainly more talented than a fourth round grade would suggest. But give me a break. He doesn't do anything spectacular. He's got good hands. He's got good speed. He's got decent size, but nothing you can't find somewhere else. And, and, and elsewhere that has actually been more productive and stayed out of less or a state out of more trouble than Antonio Callaway. So if I'm the owner and I look at John Dorsey and I say, can you find another guy like that anywhere else, whether it be off of free agency or through the draft, the answer to that with Antonio Callaway has to be yes. And that's where they screwed that pickup. Unbelievable. Fourth round takeaway. Number three, I love Josh Rosen. We've, and by we, I mean you, have already chosen the narrative. He's arrogant. Never mind what Derwin James said after he got drafted or Shaquem Griffin or Lamar Jackson. No, it's Josh Rosen that's the problem. And don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with what these other guys said. Derwin James said that the teams in front of him messed up. Shaquem Griffin said every single one of the teams that didn't draft me, I'm going to prove them wrong. There's a level of confidence and arrogance about that that I don't have a problem with. To me, it's competitiveness. Josh Rosen said that nine teams in front of the Cardinals made a mistake. What's wrong with saying that? If you believe that you are the best player in the draft, and a lot of these guys believe they're the best players in the draft, then why wouldn't you say that? I don't want a quarterback that's not full of himself. I want my quarterback to be confident. And I don't understand how Josh Rosen, above everybody else, doesn't matter what they say, He's the one that's, that gets labeled arrogant. Lamar Jackson gets drafted 32nd overall. He's going to be the backup in Baltimore, and he says he's going to lead the team to a Super Bowl. We don't even bat an eye at it. But with Josh Rosen, somehow what he says is outlandish, I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't. I, I do not understand what you all see the problem in that. Takeaway number four, I loved the Cowboys draft. I think that their first three picks, which really when you're grading a draft, you're you're weighting that grade heavily in the first three picks. All three of them make an immediate impact and, and address desperate needs for the Cowboys. And I thought the first one was a creative need. Leighton Vander Esch out of Boise State can bring you a lot of what Sean Lee brings you on the defensive end. And Sean Lee is an absolute impact player on the defense. I mean, you can go and look at the statistics when he's on the field versus when he's off the field. The Cowboys are a completely different defense. And he's off the field a lot more than you'd like to see if you're Jason Garrett and the Dallas Cowboys. So the fact that the Cowboys were able to draft a guy that can play beside him and hopefully match his impact, thusly lessening the harsh impact of losing Sean Lee, which inevitably you're going to do. So I love that pick. Their second pick was Connor Williams out of Texas. Big, strong offensive lineman. A lot of people that I respect had him graded as the best left tackle in the draft. I'm buying it. The guy was excellent at Texas. And is there ever a better team to continue to stockpile linemen than the Dallas Cowboys? A lot of their guys are getting older or they may enter free agency. And you got to have the assembly line ready to pop in the next guy. Plus, this allows Lyle Collins to play a more natural position On the offensive line, a great pickup for the Cowboys because a lot of teams in that position look at offensive line and they would say, you know what? We're good here. The Cowboys say, no, we're built here and we're not going to allow this to become a weakness at any point. That's kind of why I defend the the Jacksonville Jaguars and drafting Taven Bryant. They're probably a year ahead of where they needed to start stockpiling defensive linemen, but you can never be too strong in the interior 
on the offense or the defense. And their third pick was Michael Gallup, Colorado State wide receiver, who to me is as good as any other wide receiver in this draft. You have about seven guys at the top that were all bunched up, and Michael Gallup out of Colorado State was one of them. They desperately needed to fill that hole after Des Bryant left. The uh, fifth takeaway, the most unbelievable stat I've ever heard, I heard during the draft. Thank you, ESPN. The Lions drafted Frank Ragnall, center out of Arkansas. Then they drafted Carrion Johnson. And clearly what they're trying to do, you don't need to be a wizard uh, or Mel Kuyper to figure this out. They're trying to improve their running game. Get the center, get a good running back at, uh, out of Auburn. Oh, that's great. What I did not believe until I, I looked into it, I saw the stat flash on the screen, and I, and, and I had to look into this. The Lions haven't had a 100-yard rusher in four years. That's almost impossible to pull off. You almost have to try to be that bad at running the football. So all those great Amir Abdullah games, never a 100-yard rusher in a regular season game. That is unbelievable, and it's about time that they fix that. My takeaway number six, watch out for DJ, uh, DJ Chark, LSU wide receiver, the fastest 40 time in the draft. Watch out for him on the end around. I believe that this is why the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted him. Not so much to be an asset in the passing game because he's such a raw prospect as a receiver, not a great route tree and a guy that was really not at all productive at LSU. And I, and I understand what you're saying. Well, he didn't have a great quarterback. Well, you know what? He doesn't have a great quarterback here. So I don't know how much that's going to help. But on the end around jet sweeps and things of that nature so that you can sort of gimmick up the run game, which is really the strength of that team offensively, uh, I think that's where DJ Chark comes in. And I like I like the pick. I don't love the pick. I think there were more productive wide receivers to take. But I'm telling you, if they use him in that way and they use him properly and effectively, I think he can be an asset. I, I guess in, in a way, you know, I mentioned Tyreek Hill. It's their version of Tyreek Hill. And look how much he helped the run game in Kansas City. Takeaway number seven, I love Minka Fitzpatrick. Mike Gesicki can ball, although it's so tough to make an immediate impact as a rookie tight end in the league. So while he played great at Penn State, it's really tough to make that transition. I mean, Evan, Evan Ingram did it, but again, he did it as a wide receiver. He didn't really do it as a, a true tight end. So we see it, but we see it so infrequently. I hope to see uh, great things from Mike Gesicki, who was an absolute stud at Penn State. But if you look at their other picks, it's like, where, what were you doing? The Miami Dolphins had an opportunity to draft Mason Rudolph in the third round. Sat right there. He was picked three spots later by the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I thought were genius. I'll get to that in a second for taking him where they did and then following, following that up with a wide receiver pick that they took a little bit later on. The Dolphins had this opportunity. You cannot sit back and say, yeah, we've got everything figured out at the uh, quarterback position. You can't. Your backup quarterback right now is Brock Osweiler. So what have we seen? Ryan Tannehill gets hurt, and, and maybe he progresses, and maybe he becomes uh, a top 15 quarterback in the league, which I think is still possible. And if he becomes that, then great. But how do you not have a backup plan? And you had an opportunity where you didn't get to draft a Josh Rosen. He got drafted one spot ahead of where the Dolphins were in the first round. But how do you not take care of that when you're sitting there in the third round? Instead, they draft an outside linebacker, out of uh, out of Ohio State, who is a fabulous player, but come on, you needed another outside linebacker, like you need another hole in your head compared to how badly you needed to figure out that quarterback spot and see if you could get the quarterback of the future or somebody that could at least keep the Dolphins alive 
when Tannehill goes down. I, I thought it was a botched pick and really ruined the rest of the draft for me. Kudos to John Gruden. I thought that he'd go all glamour in his first draft in a decade, but five of their nine picks play in the trenches, and one was a punter. He's attempting to build the Raiders from scratch. You'll notice this if you go up and down all the draft picks. The really bad teams, the teams that have been built from the outside in, are now figuring out, well, we need to build from the interior. And the teams that were really good last year, you notice they took a lot of interior players or, or already have really good interior players. That's because football is still football, and you need to be good in the trenches. And John Gruden, some of his picks left a lot of people scratching their heads. But look, we don't know how any of this is going to play out until we actually watch it play out. I like the fact that he didn't go glamo on this. He even drafted a punter attempting to build the Raiders from scratch because he realizes all I really have is Khalil Mack, Amir, Amari Cooper, and Derek Carr. Uh, another takeaway from me, the Eagles, your Super Bowl champs, are so stacked. They only drafted five players in the NFL draft, and one of them plays rugby in Australia. That's how stacked they are. They didn't even need to draft anybody. I mean, they basically told you we're punting this year. We don't need it. Our, our roster is completely loaded. My last takeaway, does anybody else get the feeling, and I'll get back to Mason Rudolph with this one, that the Steelers drafting Mason Rudolph and wide receiver James Washington, one of the best deep ball combinations among wide receivers and quarterbacks in the NCAA last year, that somehow this is going to pay off huge for them down the road? I just have this spider sense telling me that that was brilliant. And when you see the Steelers make a draft pick, typically you give them the benefit of the doubt, if you ever questioned it, that, that it's going to be a smart one. It's the same thing we do with the Patriots and now with the Eagles where they make a draft pick and you go, that was brilliant. You know, the Dolphins draft a guy from Australia. You go, what are you doing? You guys aren't paying attention. He doesn't even play football. But when the Eagles do it, they look brilliant because they're the champs. The Steelers have been doing that forever in my entire life. They've been drafting good players, solid, solid NFL players, and the Patriots obviously do the same thing. Mason Rudolph and, and James Washington, and part of the reason why Rudolph was so successful in college at Oklahoma State was because of his wide receiver. So now you have James Washington added to the receiving core of Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. I really like what they're building over there. And Ben Roethlisberger, if he were to go down with an injury or if he were to suddenly retire at the end of the year, boom, you've got a guy that maybe you have something in. And I just think that that's absolutely brilliant. I wish I had seen the Dolphins do that because how can they be as confident in Ryan Tannehill as – the Steelers are more confident in Tannehill than the Steelers are in Ben Roethlisberger. It just makes no sense to me. I have a million other takeaways. I could go on for days. I love the NFL draft at an unhealthy level. You know, if you're following me on Twitter all throughout the NFL draft, you would know this. Uh, but let's get to our interview du jours. More draft talk up next. Awkward interview transition. The 2018 NFL Draft is in the books, and to help me wrap this thing up is Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus Senior and With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can follow them on Twitter. All the uh, great information that they put out from Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore 
Mike, uh, we'll start with this. Mike, what was your biggest surprise from the first round or the first moment that made you go, whoa, what is happening here? I think the first moment that really made me go, well, was the Giants actually following through and drafting a running back number two overall. I, I thought it was smokescreen all along. I thought it was a, you know, a trade play, something to get them more leverage. I don't know what, but I thought they'd draft either a quarterback or trade out, and they ended up getting a running back. And I've made my thoughts known on that. The Valiant running back, just with the number two overall pick, it's, it's not even close to what a quarterback can bring to your franchise. So that, to me, made me say, well, and then – a few more, but the biggest one was the Steelers drafting Terrell Edmonds. That just we had him a sixth rounder, and and I get that's a glaring need, but I can't help but think you could have gotten a competent safety or at least someone you know, comparable to Edmonds' quality in the second, third round. I I don't know what they saw in him to make them think that he was their guy. Uh, yeah, that one just that one kind of blew my mind. Did you say sixth round for Edmonds? Yes, we had that's sixth incredible. Round grade on yeah, and so, I mean, it's a big need. Like, Sean Davis was our lowest-grade safety in the NFL last year. But, I mean, when they drafted Sean Davis in the second round a few years back, we had the almost exact same take on the pick. We had him as an undrafted free agent grade, Sean Davis, and they drafted him in the second round. And that's sort of come to fruition that he was, uh, you know, not worth that second-round pick. So I don't know what they were really doing there. And the thing is, you're the Steelers. You're built to win now. And Trill Edmonds at 19 years old, I mean, he's a project at safety at best. I mean, he could be good one day, but. I don't think he's going to be making an immediate impact, which is what that franchise needs. Wow, that's incredible. I want to go back to that Barkley pick for a second because, you know, I, I read and, and listen to your stuff over at Pro Football Focus, and and certainly it all makes sense. And I mean, you really you don't even need to go to that advanced level to watch the NFL to say you don't need an elite running back to win a championship. But couldn't you make the argument that with a guy like Barkley, when you're grading the value of a running back, and clearly that value has diminished. If his value, if on the field he makes Eli Manning better and he makes Odell Beckham Jr. get open more and their values are higher just based on position, doesn't that then justify the pick if he's making those valuable positions even better at their job? So that's the it's the thing that's I guess hard for us to quantify. How much, how how are you making a guy better? You know, a right tackle makes Eli Manning better, too, also. And, you know, a right tackle would make Odell Beckham better. And, and it's easier to quantify, you know, how that's, you know, these, uh, avoiding pressure. You know, if you, they had drafted Michael Glinchy over second overall, he probably would have given up, you know, 20 to 30 fewer pressures than if what Eric Flowers is going to give up this year at right tackle, most likely. So it's hard to quantify exactly what that does. We've just seen that there's not really a correlation between how successful your running game is and how successful your passing game is, and even how successful your running game is and how successful your play-action passing is. Passing almost seems, you know, in our data to be irrelevant of how good a team is at running the football. Uh, a lot of the times it's just passing is very much correlated to how good you are and your pass blocking and your wide receivers are for the team. So it's not really uh, the running game, it's always a popular cliche to say, but there's nothing in our data that suggests that, you know, just having a strong running game makes you a better quarterback. All right, you, so we don't love the Giants. We don't love the Steelers, at least in the first round. Uh, give me some drafts that you did, like, top to bottom, Some when you look at some ones that pop to you. Obviously, the Browns, getting our number one quarterback at the top of the draft is big, and then getting that with a uh, cornerback, which we think is the second most valuable position on the football field, at number four, and a guy in Denzel Ward, who I think uh, is I think is a secondary changing type of player. I think he's that good at the position. 
they really come to mind. And then the other team that comes to mind is the Green Bay Packers, just what they did, not only their picks, getting, again, two cornerbacks with their first two picks, two guys we had as two of our top four cornerbacks in this draft, uh, and then getting a first-rounder next year from the Saints for basically a third-rounder uh, was uh, to move back four spots in the first round was crazy. Uh, the fact that they, the Saints were willing to give them that deal was uh, – mind-blowing in my opinion and i think the packers really came away from the draft as big winners yeah that was definitely one to me where i looked at during the course of the draft i'm like how in the world does that happen so you have that happen with the saints jumping up and giving a future first round pick and then i still think this is a typo every time i see it the raiders move back five spots and only collect a third and a fifth round pick from the cardinals so that the cardinals can jump up and take their quarterback i've never seen such a minuscule deal for a quarterback that you're going to build your franchise around? Well, not only that. I mean, it's what the Raiders ended up doing with those picks also, but they're, from everything that's come out after the fact about what was going on in that draft room, uh, it seemed like a pretty, it's just not a good situation for to be running a franchise with two different draft boards, with having to compromise on every single pick and, you know, having to, you know, having multiple guys input on trades was just, yeah, that uh, a lot of things it seemed like the, with the Raiders, a lot of their decisions this past weekend were questionable at best. We're talking to Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus senior analyst. It looks like you guys loved some uh, Traquan Smith out of UCF. We obviously are incredibly biased here in Orlando, and he's outstanding. As far as what I saw, probably the best receiver I've ever seen wearing the black and gold, and that includes years with Brandon Marshall, and part of that, of course, is the offense. But deep ball stats, uh, he is elite. He was elite in college football. Now he goes to Drew Brees. How much do you love that fit? I do love that fit because while they did have a guy like Ted Ginn this past year uh, who, was, who was basically their only deep threat, uh, Ted Ginn's getting up there in age. He doesn't have the same speed he once did. He doesn't have the same, uh, you know, ability he once did and they need a guy who can stretch the field in that offense or else it gets sort of you know you can only throw underneath so much with Drew Brees without you know fear of the over the top ball that's the whole offense works because of that fear that Drew Brees will you know at one, one time beat you over the top and if you don't have if you just have Brandon Coleman you just have Michael Thomas neither have an exceptional deep speed whatsoever you're not going to be no team's going to fear that over the top threat and so now Traquan Smith comes in and brings just that. I mean, that you can't put a, you can't really measure how much that impacts the defense. And so uh, I think we've seen how well the Saints can assimilate wide receivers into that offense. So I think he could have a very big rookie season. Is there added value? Do you guys put added value statistically on not not filling a need, but instead trying to become elite in a certain area? So in particular, I'm talking about like the Atlanta Falcons who have a couple of needs outside of wide receiver that they could have hit on in the first round, but instead they take Calvin Ridley. And so they go from good at wide receiver to elite at wide receiver. Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones would be one of the better pairings in the league. Does that grade well to you? Do you care about that at all when a team foregoes a need and instead says we're going to become even better at this spot? Yeah, I think anytime I think need is a very subjective and just because you're bad in a certain place, being average and upgrading that is also can also be considered. Like you're not I don't think you're ever set at a certain position. I don't 
I think there's a lot of teams that are set at certain positions outside of quarterback to where you can't upgrade a position and any sort of, you know, tangible upgrade uh, can impact a roster. And so I think you have to look at every decision like that in sort of, uh, in sort of the value added uh, perspective and our grades do a really good job of capturing that when, you know, the guys opposite Julio Jones this past season graded out average to below average. Like it wasn't necessarily a huge need. They weren't, it wasn't like guard for the Falcons, whereas obvious and they were bad at the position, but if you can go from average to, like you said, to elite, all of a sudden your that you know value added is still as good as going from maybe terrible to average at guard. So I think when you have a talent like Calvin Ridley, who's a perfect complement to Julio Jones with his route running ability, with his speed, with his downfield uh, you know uh, threat that he is, all of a sudden you've gone from you know a solid wide receiving core outside of Julio to maybe the best wide receiving core in the NFL. If this draft taught us anything at all, it's that you cannot have enough players in the trenches on your roster. And two teams that I'm looking at with that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The The, the Bucks' defensive line was a mess last year, but they'd spent a lot of money and they traded for JPP to solidify that. And then they go out and they draft Vita Vea. And then you've got the Jags at 29 who have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, probably the best defensive line in the NFL, and they draft Taven Bryan out of Florida. So does that does it back up that theory then that essentially teams are just looking at their lines, whether it be offense or defense, and saying we can never have too many guys at this position? Oh, 100%. And it goes back to kind of what I just said. If you're average somewhere and you go to elite, that's a huge bump. And I think uh, if you go from even just good, even just one of the better off defensive lines in the NFL like the Jaguars to – now this, you know, 2015 sort of Broncos level of you got every single guy you're thrown in there is almost uh, darn near unblockable when he's in. You like that is going to be a tough defense to stop to uh, you know score points against this upcoming season. So, and it also comes back to what I was talking about with positional value. The defensive line, interior defensive line, is the fourth, the third highest paid position in the NFL. Edge defender is the second highest paid position in the NFL. So getting those guys in the draft and then not having to pay them as much as, you know, you would if you had to get them in free agency is providing you huge value and huge cap savings that you can use elsewhere. And so I think both those picks uh, I'm a fan of, especially the, the Vita Vey pick because the, the Buccaneers defensive line was so poor a season ago, so bad at getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks, especially up the middle. Now all of a sudden you get they McCoy, Finney Curry, JPP, and that defensive line looks like you went from one of the worst in the NFL to arguably one of the best. So that's uh, both those teams. I'm a fan of their picks. All right, Mike, let's run through a couple of things real quick. Mohurst slipping to the fifth round. You guys had him as your best defensive tackle in the draft. Clearly the heart issue played a factor in where he went in the draft. How shocked were you when he slipped all the way down to five? Yeah, it just spoke to me that, you know, almost – reminiscent of Lyle Collins, but for obviously vastly different reasons, but right. just teams probably outside of Oakland, there might not have been another team that had him on the draft board at that point, because we saw so many defensive linemen come off the board that couldn't hold the candle to Maurice Hurst, you know, and they're just not even close to his same ballpark in terms of what he did on the field, what he can do at the NFL level. And so, yeah, there's had to be a good number of teams that weren't even willing to take him. You've been, you know, he was sitting at their, uh, sitting there in the seventh round 
All right, last one for you. Antonio Callaway out of Florida, notorious basket case in college. You're going to have to explain something to me. As somebody that watched a lot of Gator football, and I don't think he ever optimized his talents, what does he bring to the table that makes it worth taking him in the fourth round? There's still a lot of good players on the board at that point, and I know he's talented, but he's such a troublemaker. You know, I see a guy like Tyree Kill go a couple years ago, and you can say, okay, well, he's faster than anybody in the draft, so that kind of makes sense even with his troubled past. But Callaway, you can look story after story. There's at least three really notable incidents at Florida. What on his uh, on the field, what makes that pick worth it? In my opinion, he's the most talented wide receiver in this draft. You watch his routes and the subtlety and his sort of explosiveness in and out of cuts, and he's on par with Calvin Ridley in that regard, and then he's better at the catch point, in my opinion, than Calvin Ridley. He has better hands. And is more physical uh, receiver than Calvin Ridley. If I were to, you know, purely talent alone, be taking a guy first, that might have been Callaway. He, he's that good of a receiver. He got he didn't have much help with the quarterback situations in the offense there in of course, Florida yeah. when he was on the field. But at the off field, John Dorsey is the same guy who picked Tyreek Hill, the same guy who picked Callaway. Now he's going to draft players. He's going to draft players based on talent. I don't think he really gives too much of a damn about the, their off field teams in his uh, history. Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yep, thanks so much for having me. Have a good one. Well, that does it for this week's podcast. Appreciate Mike Renner joining us from Pro Football Focus. Always love getting his insight on the NFL and all the analytics behind the NFL draft and draft prospects. I dropped a surprise episode on you yesterday, just about five minutes long. Uh, I talked to Jack Swagger ahead of Thursday's MLW show here in Orlando. If you guys want to go and check that out, Jack Swagger talks about part of the reason why he left WWE, and it was about a year ago that he asked for his release. So you can check that out on the Kravitz Podcast page as well. Don't forget to like it on Facebook, The Kravitz Podcast. You can follow on iHeartRadio, 969thegame.com, and Apple Podcasts on iTunes as well. Just search The Kravitz Podcast anywhere you go. Subscribe, like, rate, follow, and enjoy. I appreciate you guys listening. I'll catch you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.